Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to episode four of Q Commentator with me, Nick Heath. Thank you very much for joining me once again. And uh, well, it sounds like quite a lot of you enjoyed episode three with the very smooth Mr. Nick Mullins. Um, It was a good listen, I think. Uh, Nick is a brilliant broadcaster and many of you thought so as well. Matt Merritt got in touch via Twitter only on its third episode, but already some absolutely cracking guests. And now with Nick Mullins, my favourite commentator is included. It's well worth including on your podcast rotation. Uh, You know that, obviously, dear listener, because you you've uh, continued to tune in, which I'm very grateful for. Um, I enjoyed this from Matt D. Sport, who's pretty sure that Nick Mullins delivered one of his favourite lines, which he says he may be paraphrasing, but the commentary was at Loftus Road, painting the picture of being near the BBC in Wormwood Scrubs, and Nick is believed to have said, one is institutional and hard to escape from, the other one is a prison, uh, which is a very nice anecdote from uh, from Matt remembering Nick's commentary. Oh, we hope it's Nick's anyway, whoever it was, it's lovely. Um, Scott McAllister tuning in from Australia, great insight, really enjoying the podcasts uh, Sam Roberts easily one of the po- best podcasts around which is very generous of you Sam given that uh, Sam is one third of the podding shed Gloucester Rugby's excellent podcast so thank you Sam uh, Steve Parrott the uh, Exeter Chiefs chief match tweeter this is a fascinating listen particularly but not exclusively for rugby fans excellent conversation between Nick and Nick yielding up lots of insight into the commentators happy lot uh, well, thank you very much Steve appreciate that it was a little rugby heavy with Nick but uh, but obviously that that's the main sport that he's on these days. A message from Chris Edgerton, who's been unveiled as the new man to bring us Leicester's home games on BBC Leicester next season. Great news for Chris, uh, saying this isn't just enjoyable because these are two good men. This is enjoyable because it's thought-provoking and more than just about sport and my trade. Worth a listen. Uh, and uh, grateful for that, Chris. Uh, up-and-coming South African commentator Justin Middleton. Insightful yet again. Nick Mullins is a class act. And John Harris-Bass, fellow commentator on the Premiership. He does cycling and volleyball. Another excellent episode in the series and what's to disagree with the mantra of doing a job that doesn't feel like a job of course which Nick said and uh, yeah it's it's wonderful to actually hear so many people uh, from the industry particularly are tuning in I think uh, enjoying the little workshop notes so that they can improve themselves as well um, also grateful for anyone who can leave a review on iTunes and I'm grateful to uh, Red Hat Photo I think I know who you are um, thanks Nick for some cracking insight into what the into what those behind the microphone 
microphone do and how it's evolved over the years. I confess being a rugby photographer, I know both you and Nick, but I still didn't have any idea how you prepare to deliver a sports commentary. I'm hoping at some point to hear the view from one of our many talented female commentators. Keep up the good work. Well... Funny you mentioned that. Uh, one other uh, comment that we had over the course of the week. Just finished the first three episodes of Q Commentator podcast series, presented and produced by Nick Heath. All three were compelling and taught me so much, I pity the poor sod who has to follow the stellar lineup so far. That comment made by Sarah Orchard. Yes, Sarah, who is our guest this week. And uh, I've got to know Sarah a bit through the rugby world. She's obviously worked on BBC London and Five Live doing tennis, hockey, rugby. She's a qualified referee. Um, And in our conversation, you'll hear how she became an accidental journalist, sort of falling into it in the way that she did. Um, She will discuss the inspiring Spires, um, her life playing and refereeing rugby, uh, going low and going slow, which is a handy piece of advice, I think, um, and how it's probably what we're used to rather than is she any good in terms of what might promote that sort of archaic view that women shouldn't commentate, uh, which you do hear a fair bit out there. Um, You know, there's no doubt that we don't like men squealing and women's register is broadly higher vocally, which means you've obviously got to be a bit more aware of of not wanting to hit too many high notes. And that's got to play on the mind a little bit as a female commentator. So arguably, I think they're probably already working harder than their male counterparts to achieve the right tones that sound more palatable. Um, You can make up your own mind as as you hear what Sarah has to say. Um, Grateful for all of you that are subscribing. Please uh, do so if you haven't already and keep the reviews coming. Um, I have also set up a Q Commentator group on Facebook via the Rugby Media Facebook page. So feel free to join up and comment on this or any previous episodes you can message on twitter at q commentator or email q commentator at rugbymedia.co.uk that is a fair amount of housekeeping complete so without further ado um this again is another chat that i think covers some different themes to the first three that you've heard so far um so uh, with all that said and done q commentator sarah orchard sarah orchard economics english and theater studies at school Journalism at uni, it takes you to Radio Devon. How was that journey for you? Um, I think it was one of those things, my whole career has been totally accidental. (laughs) Um, I was meant to go to university at Sheffield and I was meant to study economics. But on A-level results day, I'd been told I'd get an A or a B in economics Mm. and I got a C. And I was devastated. I thought this is a subject I was really good at. I'd had really good coursework. You could do coursework in those days. Apparently you can't do it anymore. Okay. Um, And yeah, I just basically uh, messed up the exams. And I was just on a real downer. And I just thought, well, I don't want to go. I mean, a C is not a bad grade at A-level. I appreciate that. There's plenty of people out that get a C grade. But for me, with the passion I had for it at the time, I just was just like, no, this is not what I want to do. What, what were you destined to do with that? Sort of, did, had you had, did you have an idea where economics was going to take you post? No idea at all. <laughs> no idea. I just thought, finally, maybe I found something that's my niche. Um, and I just thought, no, I don't want to do this. And I ended up flicking through the Sheffield University prospectus, um, thinking, well, what else is there? Because I really wanted to go to Sheffield. You know, this is so flippant. Um, I yeah. appreciate that. What's the motivation behind exactly. Sheffield? Exactly. Well, I, I, you, like anyone, I'd been and visited about six universities. All of my friends were going to Cardiff or Southampton. And I'm one of those people that I hate being a sheep. 
I refuse to go where everyone else is going. That would um, be an interesting theme for our conversation. It really could be. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just thought, no, I've been to Shefford. I loved it. My parents were really annoyed because it was so far away and they'd have to travel. And I was like, no, I'm determined to go there. You were Exeter-based, were you? Yeah, so yeah. we're down in Devon. Sheffield's four and a half hours away. And um, flicking through the prospectus, there was journalism studies and all the work experience and things I'd done throughout all of my school days and everything, it had been uh, going into theatres and doing the sound effects or going into local radio and working with the news desks. Mm -hmm. And I'd already done work experience at my local paper. And I was like, well, maybe if I've done all of that background, maybe that is what I should be doing more of. Um, And broadcasting in particular was the area I was keen on. And I'd had the theatre studies background that had gone well at A-level. And I thought, well, maybe that is where I should go. And I randomly... You have to, I don't know if it's the same these days, I rung up the professor and I said, um, is there a place left on the journalism studies course? And he said, I've only got one place left. Um, You've got the grades, but um, why should I give it to you? You've Mm. shown no interest until this phone call. And I explained about the work experience I've done. He said, I just don't think you've got enough experience for this, Sarah. I don't think I can let you on the course. And that was the end of the chat. So I put the phone down and then I was like, right, how do I get on this course? Yeah. So I rung my local paper, the Express and Echo, because this is what now the middle of August. Yeah. And I said, look. Time's ticking. Yeah. I want, I'm, there's a place left on this course. I really want to go. Can I come and do the rest of the summer, three weeks work experience at the paper, I'll do whatever you want. And I think the guy on the phone was just like, free labour at the end of August when everyone's on holiday. Yep, sure, come on down. Yeah. Brilliant. And I rang back the lecturer and I said, look, I've got another three weeks at the newspaper. I really want to do this. I'll be honest, I think he just wanted to get rid of the place. He just went, fine, you have it, it's fine, come and do journalism. So yeah, and totally by accident. There you go. Um, I managed to wiggle my way into the last place on the course. I loved it. It was brilliant. And yeah, and then I ended up after lots of traveling and things after university at BBC Radio Devon. Yeah, absolutely. And well, you mentioned theatre studies back there, which which sort of has a link to performance of some sort. I mean, was there the theater, some theatre studies courses are very sort of text based? I mean, I, I made the mistake of doing one at, at University of Central Lancashire. There was no performing in it whatsoever. <laughs> and if they actually got anybody, if they asked any of the twelve people on the course to even read one of the scripts, some people came out in hives. So, <laughs> but was there an, any element of that in in, in your course? Um, performance I mean in the A level that I did for theatre studies yes and the actual performance side of it I think was around 60% of the mark oh okay so it was a big part and yeah ever since I was little I was quite happy talking out loud in Mm -hmm. front of people don't go down the road of singing because my singing is awful (laughs) it is terrible and I can tell you terrible stories about me singing my family still laugh at how bad my singing is good but when it came to acting or speaking out loud I was really really content happy on the stage or performing in front of people and I think you have to have that side Uh, there's a nice thing about having a career in broadcasting particularly in radio that you're broadcasting but you're hiding at the same time I do still like that yeah that's true I love this conversation we're having right here Nick where no one can see me at the moment (laughs) it's amazing tv's a bit different um, and is a very different skill but I, I do love the fact that we can perform and have a chat, but we're hidden. Yes. I mean, we might be hidden permanently. I don't know if anyone will ever listen, but we'll remain optimistic okay. on that front. Okay. Um, and we're talking about early 2000s here, aren't we, sort of time-wise. Um, how many women were around you at BBC Devon at that time on the broadcast front? Um, well, when I first went in, 
um, I was mainly doing traffic and travel reports because you go in and you do whatever you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you certainly aren't picky. Anyone who's tried to break into a career in broadcasting will know, don't be picky. Mm. Just say yes and uh, nod and be happy. And one day, you hopefully, you'll get to where you want to go. Turn up on time. Yes. And the main office I worked in was the extra office. BBC Radio Devon in those days had an extra office and a Plymouth office. And in the extra office, the only other woman who was really there other than the receptionist was um, <laughs> Judy Spires. Oh, wow. So my first real introduction to a female broadcaster was Judy Spires. <laughs> now, Who was of an era? She really is. <laughs> and she is an incredible woman. Great. She's incredibly scary. Right. She is very forthright, knows what she wants. Yeah. Her broadcasting is impeccable. And she's incredibly infectious. Anyone who listens to her on air, I mean, she is an absolute superstar down in Devon. You know, she would have to walk around wearing sunglasses and everything yeah. because everybody loved her. I love that local celebrity. Yeah, it's amazing. It's fantastic. But my first real interaction with her was one day um, I'd made a cake. Ooh. And I'd been there about three months and she, uh, the cake was on the side and she had a slice. Oh, and she said, who made this cake? And all oh, the boys in the office went, it was Sarah in the travel room. Because the travel room was its own little booth on its own. So she came and knocked on the door. And I said, hello, Judy. She said, hello, Sarah. She said, I've just had a piece of your cake. I said, oh, that's okay. Are you thinking in your head, is this going to yeah, be good news or bad No, news? and it wasn't. She said, it's a little dry, but I thought I should tell you. <laughs> and that was my first interaction with Judy's oh, first. wow. My cake was a little dry, but thank you very yeah. much. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. That's so, yeah. great. It reminds me of my brother's first interaction with Jamie Lee Curtis when he was working as a production runner at Pinewood Studios and he'd been in and they were working on the bomb of a sequel to A Fish Called Wanda that was done 20 years too late. And, uh, <laughs> and he came home and he said, oh, I spoke to Jamie Lee Curtis today you know before she they, they're all flying over to film and we were like oh my god amazing what did you say he said I'll just put you through <laughs> yeah there you go that was yeah, it, that it. Sounds, the, sounds good in the production office yeah. that was his his claim to fame at that moment but she was an incredible presence Judy Spires I have to say that it really she was as I said she was the only dominant female in that office and everyone paid attention when she walked in the room and you mm. were very aware of that and I thought that was brilliant is there, is there, I mean, you know, there, there's an element of the sort of dragon about it, about it that you paint. You didn't say that, I did. Mm. So, but is there a little bit that you take from that, therefore, a bit of the resilience that you, that you, that you see in that at that point? There's the resilience, but there's also the intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a few women like that. I mean, uh, I, my day job at the moment is at BBC uh, London. I mainly work on TV, but uh, the breakfast presenter at BBC Radio London is Vanessa Phelps. And again, she has that aura. She walks in the room and everyone pays attention and her intelligence is just off the scale and you just have... No one can touch her as far mm. as I'm concerned when it comes to her broadcasting and I just love women like that. Mm. They scare the hell out of me because <laughs> I know I can never be that person. It's just not my personality and how uh, I am genetically. Well, it's sort of alpha female, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but I, I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Your first commentary then... Working down at Devon, was it was it down there that you started that you got the first opportunity? No, down at Devon, I did some reports. Um, yeah. First rugby report I ever did was uh, Exeter Chiefs uh, when they played at the county ground. Mm-hmm. So that was the before they went to their lovely sandy park. Indeed. It's an old rub. I say rubbish. It was rubbish um, ground. Romantic. A, yes, romantic. There we go. Yeah. With a speedway track going around the outside. And we used to do the commentary or the updates from this little box, which is kind of like a shed. 
resting on top of another building that you had to access via a really dodgy ladder. Great. It was totally wrong on Great. every level. Yeah. And the electrics in it clearly would not pass any safety test known to mankind. Um, and yeah, I, I went and did my first lot of updates and there. I did it a few times. Um, but I have to be honest, at this point in my career, I haven't even considered commentary. Com- okay. Commentary doesn't exist yeah, okay. in my world right now because... I'm sure this is what we're going to talk about. Women don't commentate. So it doesn't cross my mind Interesting. that we're going to commentate. I just went and did reports. Yeah. And and how did you feel you went as a reporter? Um, I think anyone who does their first shift in reporting and thinks their God's gift is kidding themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, didn't, I didn't really have a clue what I was doing, to be honest. I remember them saying before I left with this uh, kit and uh, anyone who, in broadcasting, when you go and do these things, you get something called an ISDN kit, which is like, it's a really posh phone line that you plug into a wall and makes you sound like you're in quality. Yeah. Didn't have a clue how to work it. I had to ring about seven times to get that to work. Yeah, um, I had a similar experience. Yes, exactly. You know the drill. When you plug in your first Glen sound, you have no idea what you're doing. No, no idea. And it doesn't matter how many times people show you, and now you do it without even thinking. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I... I I I just think I talk too much. There's there's a, a thing because I do a quite a bit of work for Five Live, and the be- first thing I say to anyone who goes and does a shift for them, like as a reporting shift, I always just say, keep it short. Mm. Whatever you do, keep it short. Mm. If you are doing a little ten second uh, throw into your match, and there is a commentary going on elsewhere, people are listening to the commentary. Yes, they want to know what the latest score is with you, mm. but they do not want to know chapter and verse about what has happened, no matter how exciting you think it is. And yeah. if it is crazy exciting, you'll have a good producer that will give you more time. But yeah. as a general rule, you've got 10 seconds, get in, get out, and you'll get on again. Yeah, yeah. No, that's very true. I mean, I, I doing commentary and then occasionally doing reports, as, as I end up doing from certain rugby games, yeah, I, I've definitely been guilty of trying to cram in 40 seconds worth of report oh, yeah. into 25, <laughs> um, which means, A, you've gone into too much detail in the time you've got, you're gabbling, and ultimately they come away from it and they go, I, I can't remember what the score was that no. he just told us because there was an awful lot of, of other information. I mean, who you say, obviously, there weren't other women commentating, but... Were there other female voices around the broadcasting world or people that you, you'd been watching, you know, I, I mean, I would say growing up, but it's interesting because, you know, some of the voices that I've been speaking to had a vision from quite an early stage that it was going to be broadcast all the way. And, and, and sort of at this point, although you'd been doing the theatre studies and things, mm. it, it was a realisation, you know, in your late teens, early 20s, that, that this was going to start being something you wanted to do. So I guess, is, is there a back catalogue of voices that, that you you sort of recall male or female not really because everything i've done has been totally accidental <laughs> um nothing it, it, it's more obviously these days i'm far more focused on what i'm doing and i know where i want to go mm. but in those early days you know i i can't turn around to you and say i was 12 years old um and i was or oh, how old was I? I would have been 10 when linford christie won the 100 meters at the barcelona olympics and i can remember that commentary very well yeah um but can I say that listening to that, uh, I was thinking that's what I want to do as a career. Didn't even cross my mind at mm. all. And my passion for sport mainly comes from playing it. Okay. Um, it is is not from necessarily watching it. I don't come from a football household at all. Yeah. Um, I don't really come from a sporting household at all. We did watch sport, but it was it was. I would say like the majority of the nation, it was the big sporting moments where everyone sat down watching it. It would be Olympics. It would be World Cups. 
Grand those moments, those exactly. Sorts of things, yeah, I never went out of my way to specifically follow a sport because I was doing it. Yeah, that was my thing. I loved doing it. Um, and then my passion for rugby came from my uh, sixth form days where I started playing, and then at university where I joined the team. And then off the back of that, I went travelling um, with a friend. We went to Australia. It's two thousand three. That went well. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Really well. Um, Were you there? Yeah. Oh. Amazing. Me and my mate, we basically finished uni, saved all of our money. I did the most incredible jobs to save my money to get to Australia. The highlight being 12-hour shifts in a box factory, lifting Harry Potter box sets 90 degrees from one conveyor belt to the other. Oh, wow. There was only four in the box set then. It was quite a long time ago. Yeah. Um, But we saved all our money. And yeah, we watched every England game bar the first two pool games. Right. Because we flew out. Uh, via Malaysia so we missed the first two but we got all the others and we had tickets all the way up to the quarterfinals we had mm-hmm. if England won the group because we'd done yeah. it like that yeah and then the semi-finals we managed to buy tickets I think we just got them off a tout in the street they were opposite ends of the stadium so right. me and my mate were were just like well see you at the end buddy. yeah and then the final uh, we were staying in a hostel in King's Cross and we were like how do we get ticket for the final and this guy just said, well, just call the last minute ticket line. No. And we were like, what? And he said, yeah, just call the last minute ticket line. And we were like, what is the last minute ticket line? He said, every... <laughs> I mean, I'd imagine the clues in the title. Yes, exactly. But... <laughs> he said, before every match, it doesn't matter which game it is, the World Cup has a final allocation of tickets. And he says, it's, it'll be about 5,000 that haven't been sold, that are held back. Right. And they're released at 9 a.m., four days before the game. Okay. And we were like, are you serious? Yeah. Why do people not know this? I don't know if this exists now. And we did. We literally were there in a phone box. We didn't have mobile phones in those days. Yeah, there you go. Date it. Yeah, exactly. In in Sydney at 9am. And we were next to each other because obviously we needed two phone boxes next to each other because we were both ringing at the same time. Yeah. We rung this number. It went straight through. And I said, can I have two tickets for the World Cup final? Yes. <laughs> And my biggest regret in that moment was, why did I only ask for two? Yeah. I could have paid for my whole trip in that one moment. But I we bet. were so excited that I we know, got you've these sorted tickets. yourself out at exactly. that point, haven't you? So. so it was amazing. So, yeah. So we were behind the post where the drop girl went over. Oh, my goodness me. It's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know a few people who were there that day, but uh, that's a great story of uh, yeah. of getting in there. Yeah, I mean, because you started playing women's rugby at school. Were you, were you partly involved in, in making that happen? little bit yeah we um uh i went to one of those six forms where there was only about 12 girls in a six form mm-hmm. so our netball team was absolutely pants <laughs> you play the <laughs> local college you've got like two thousand girls you're gonna get whooped yeah and we were just a bit fed up of this going well this is rubbish so we um the boys it was a private six form so all the boys played rugby um and we said well can we play rugby if we ask the girls school up the road if they want to come down and they said yeah sure so it started there and yeah, it was just learning the basics. I didn't really, I, I'm not going to lie, I didn't really learn rugby in that moment because it was so fresh, it was so new, and um, we were so bad, Yeah, okay. <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> and whenever we played, it would always have to be ten aside because no one could ever get a whole team out, that yeah, kind okay. of thing. And I didn't really start to learn until there was some county trials and I got selected for the Devon under-18s. Great. That's when I started to actually learn 
the game because we could actually put 15s out and there it was far more technical yeah but what we were doing rather than just pass the ball backwards and yeah this yeah is how you tackle catch yeah. exactly so that was sort of when i started to learn and i got into southwest under 18s off that as well and again what position were you I was like to say prop, but no one ever believes me. So wow. I was a wing. Okay. I was. Um, <laughs> so yeah. It, it, but yeah, that's when the knowledge started to grow. I'm going to have a little coffee break if you want. Oh, to, lovely. Just there. We're not allowed to talk about having a coffee break on this. Um, well, we could do, you know. I'll, I'll leave it. I, br- I brewed your tea for a while. Oh, it's delicious. Yeah. Who made your tea at Barry Davis' house? Was it Barry Davis or? Uh, there was no tea at Barry's house. Oh. I think he offered and I oh, declined. Okay. I was just too damn excited frankly oh, right, i was okay. like let's just crack on with it oh okay fair enough um you also trained as a referee yeah didn't you? How, how what was the sort of time frame for that happening yeah off the back of the 2003 rugby world cup we went traveling and i came home and i really wanted to stay involved in rugby this wasn't uh with a th- thought to working in it in any way mm. it was more that um you just watched a World Cup final. I just watched World Cup final where we'd done very well. Yeah. Um, I'd loved being at uni. I'd loved being part of the team. Um, when I got back, I also did my level one coaching course. Mm-hmm. But it was all about the commitment. And I was desperately trying to get a job up in London at the time. And I was working about three jobs. I was temping. I was working in a bar. And I just couldn't commit. So, but I wanted to really invest in rugby so I thought well why don't I referee because at least if you referee then you can pick and choose to an extent which games you're doing and uh, if you say I'm not available for a weekend you're not really letting people down I did exactly the same thing yep exactly so it's a much better way of of doing it Um, so yeah and I I loved it I Mm. really really enjoyed it Um, if any I'd recommend it to anyone who's into rugby whether you actually end up refereeing at the end or not I think it really opens your eyes. Um, yeah. There were certainly things. I mean, I never played to a great level. The highest level I got to was I, I competed in the England Academy um, uh, where a very young Danielle Waterman, who was about three years younger than me at the time, was running circles around me. I thought, well, this isn't going to work, is it? <laughs> um, but she never went on to make anything no, of herself, did no, she? I've not no. heard of her since, no. Terrible woman. <laughs> Love you, Nolly. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I just thought this works. This is really, really nice. This is uh, this is also a great learning tool, um, and it really did open my eyes a, a lot more to what was going on on the field compared to just being a player. I think as a player, you're very insular. I did find it hilarious when I refereed my first few games because I think everyone goes through this. If you go from being a player to a referee, you're kind of thinking as a player even though you're refereeing and there'd be times where someone like would run in the ball and they're totally isolated and you think, why'd you do that? You're all on your own, mate. There's no one here. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to get the penalty for holding on. You just give the holding penalty. But I, I really enjoyed that. Mm. Um, I can remember refereeing down at, um, I started down in Devon, but when I moved up to London, I kept it going and joined uh, the West London Society. And I can remember real baptism of fire, a few one is and a lot of people in the area they all do the uh vets at richmond yeah and they do the thing where they all line up to have their studs checked and they all go around in the circle and you end up checking, checking. Studs the whole length of the pitch yeah so that was very amusing yeah um, <laughs> you fell for that one. Oh yes yeah. first time Good, yeah. you live and you learn um but then also they're quite fun because uh after about 60 minutes they're just like can we stop the game there ref because we're absolutely knackered <laughs> and you're like okay fair enough yeah as long as you're both happy with that that's fine yeah 
And then one of my other early games in London was I did London Welsh fourths. Or was it London Welsh thirds against Barking thirds or fourths? I can't remember which way around yeah. it was. And in that game... Ba- barely an athlete amongst them. I gave out three red cards. Oh. And this was only like my third game refereeing for the society. Oh, wow. And there was there was basically just a massive punch up. Right. I mean, it was a grudge match that I didn't realise anyway. And I was just there sort of taking numbers. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep, definitely saw you make contact. Yep, that, yep. Yeah. And it was that thing when they finally all calmed down, I just had to separate the teams. I said, yeah. right, you lot, go and walk under those posts. You go and walk under those posts. And then it was just me stood in the middle of the pitch going, I've got to restart this game somehow, having just red carded three people. Yeah. Um, and whilst they were all sort of going to calm down, a guy, I wasn't, I was about 10 metres away from the touchline and a guy walked up to me and he said, I'm an off-duty police officer. I saw all of that. If you need a witness, let me know. Goodness. He said, the three numbers you got, I got as well. He said, I might have got another one, but that's another story. And I said, okay. Well, that's nice immediate vindication. That effective, yeah. if, I mean, you know, there is this conversation about rugby, isn't it? Well, if that was in the high street, it would be assault. Well, yes, that's why it's mm-hmm. on the sporting field and yeah. it's 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 deemed as competition. And I do think that there do need to be boundaries. But interesting, if you've got yeah. a copper on the sideline who's saying, I basically saw an assault the same way you yes. did. So your red cards are probably all right. Exactly. And I remember having to call the society afterwards because you go and do these games. A lot mm. of time you're on your own. Yeah. And I had to call the society and say, um, just so you know, yeah. I've just given out three red cards. And they were just like, oh. Um, Bloody woman. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was all fine. There was Nothing came back from it. You know, it was all accepted that it happened. Mm. So, yeah. Fair play to you. I yeah. mean, that's that, that's pretty brave. I've never handed out any since. Yeah. It's the only time I've handed out red cards and it was three in one match. So that's, there you go. Yeah, that's pretty ballsy. No, I like mm. that. Um Getting back to the to the sort of broadcast side, then now that we've we, you know we've established that you got to a point where you know rugby through the veins, and you're also you know looking at it from an officiating point of view, which you know I think I think as as is it is is obvious, it becomes a useful feather in the cap for anybody who's going to be commentating or broadcasting on a sport. Um, you were at BBC London, and you were doing TV as well. You were on Mitelli reading the sports news for for you know a number of years. But when what was the moment that you did your first commentary? Um, I got involved with the sports editor of arranging the commentators and the summarizers for the rugby commentaries we did, which was uh, at the time Harlequins and Wasps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we also organised London Irish at the time as well. Probably, yeah. Um, so I had to find out who was commentating that weekend and contact the club and get a summarizer to them because we do it all online, and so everyone had the option of this commentary if they wanted it. Yeah. Um. And my editor had said to me, he said, do you want to go along and watch a few times because you're organising all this stuff, you understand how it works? And I did, and I just went and watched. And one time when I was watching, a summariser failed to show, and the guy who was commentating is Nigel Barden, who people probably know him better as a food critic on Radio 2. Right. <laughs> but he he did he does loads of rugby commentary as well, and he turned around and said, right, Sarah, come on, you're going to have to summarise. And I was like, oh. oh he wow. said, well, you're a referee, you know what's going on. So I was like, okay. So I did it and it was fine. And he turned around to me at the end and he just went, look, why don't you do a commentary? He said, I, you're, you can do the summary, but you should be a commentator. That it shouldn't be, it should be that way around. And I said, oh no, you know, I said, it's very kind of you to say, but yeah, no, I'm not, not interested in that. Mm. And then... Um, why? Why? Why, well, it's, why that reaction? Again, it, it's just, I'd never thought that was the path women took yeah it just wasn't natural to me yeah. i didn't know any other women who were commentating at the time this is what 2005 mm. around that time i'm a woman nigel don't be ridiculous exactly. yeah. um well not even that but 
I just didn't see it as a career path that was viable. How am I going to make any money out of this when no one's doing it already? There's no logic Mm, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's a a thought process I simply can't put myself in the shoes of because I've not been there. Exactly. And and there's no example. Yeah, guys were doing it, so it was, yeah. Yeah, and and when people discuss uh, a lot in sport about role models, that is why it is so important you can see something of yourself in someone else. Yeah. And I couldn't see something of me in any of the commentators I've ever heard. So I just thought, well, this is a stupid conversation. Mm. I just didn't even think about it. Not to overblow a, you know, a parallel, but it's why Obama was so important to America. Isn't exactly, it? You know, yeah. P- people saw that, that there, is a, there is a top job for me if, if I'm a person of colour. Most definitely. So, yeah. um, so then off the back of that, a couple of weeks later the sports editor at BBC London Turner, and he said, right, I need a commentator. Um, do you want to do it? And I said, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. There was a few things about it. One is that anyone who wants to start up being a commentator, you're not going to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And Nick, you're nodding at me at this. Yes. Um, because the, especially when you're doing local radio commentaries and things like that, there is no money there. No. And he told me how much I was going to get paid. And I think at the time it was about 30 quid. Yeah, 35 pounds maybe, yeah. something like that, yeah. And I was like, well, why would I spend all that time doing all that prep? Yeah. And and I was just like, no, I don't think it's for me, boss. And he was like, okay, all right then. And then in the end, I, I shelved it. And then I think it was 2007, he said, right, you're commentating for me next season. It's part of your day job. I put it down as your shift once a week. Um you're doing wasps this weekend but it, oh, was it wasps this weekend he'd, he'd made me go and do because it was 2007 it was ahead of the uh, world cup in france and do you remember england played wales at twickenham yes he made me go this was in the build-up to this to go and do a practice commentary of england wales at twickenham why was he so keen to push you He's amazing. Because it, it sounds like would this be pete pete stevens, pete stevens yeah he's well, amazing well i mean he really is yeah he he because it sounds like you were a little resistant and he kept telling you that it was going to happen. I wasn't necessarily resistant. I just, again, I didn't see the point. Yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. like, I'm not, not going to make my yeah. fortune commentating, so why don't I get more TV experience, which is what I can see myself doing, yeah. so on and so forth. But he was like, no, you're going to do this and it's part of your job. And I was like, okay, fine, it's part of my job, that's fine. So um, I went off and I did a practice commentary of the England-Wales and obviously that was in before the season started and the World Cup because it was a delayed season. Mm-hmm. I got back and then I started regularly filling in doing the Harlequins and Wasps commentaries um, as they were then. And yeah, that's how it started. Mm. Um, and there's the whole thing of some people don't like listening to women commentate and that's fine. Mm. You know, some people don't like listening to men commentate so I really don't take it personally. Yeah. Um, and you, you learn as you go. Some people loved it. They loved that I was a referee and, you know. Did you feel a need to put that out there? Very much so. Yeah. For you, credibility's sake. Totally. Yeah. You, I needed that validation. That how I would, how would you put it out there? Um, I suppose it's easier now cause it's on my social media profile. <laughs> um, uh, I think it was more, uh, the, because I'd always, I don't think I've ever, unless it's been women's international rugby, I've ever commentated with a woman. Therefore, you'd always be given a player who would sit down with this very odd look on their face of it to say, well, this is new. Mm. 
and they're politely thinking in their head, and I don't really like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, is, is there a chap coming back here in a minute? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, what are you doing here? Um, it's that whole thing, whenever you go to games and you're a woman, you still get mistaken to be the press officer all the time. No one ever thinks you're actually there to <laughs> report or commentate. Um, it's extraordinary. Yeah, and uh, I think after, it, what would always happen is I would get through to half-time, and you'd, at half-time you'd just turn the faders down, and... They'd always say something along the lines of, um, so um, did you play? Or, or you know, yeah. as if to say, I can tell you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, which is, they don't mean to say it like that, but it always came across as that. And I said, yeah. well, yeah, I played and, you know, I, I'm a referee. And they would go, oh, right. Oh, that makes sense. It's yeah. like, how else would a woman know, yes. you know otherwise? Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't mean to do it, but I no, just but did it... find it amusing at the time. So. Yeah. And and I mean, and female broadcasters can find themselves in the spotlight a lot more than men in terms of the tone and register of the voice. That gets a lot of you know uh, attention. Um, were you, when were you conscious of that? Yeah, um, hugely, and I still am now. Hmm. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, there's a very natural thing in male and female voices that when you get excited, you get higher and higher and higher. Yeah. Um, and one of the things about commentators you love, like, you know, if you listen to Ian Robertson, he's got this lovely deep, thick Scottish chocolate accent mm. and he gets deeper and thicker and Scottish, more Scottish and more yeah. chocolate comes out, the more excited he gets at, gets excited. So I don't have that. <laughs> So you have to think of different ways around it. And one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given was actually by my good colleague at uh, BBC Radio London, Nick Godwin. He said, um, when it gets really good, go slow, mm. which is a really simple piece of advice. Mm. But everybody thinks you have to get quicker. And it's like, no, let the crowd do that for you. Mm. But he was like, no, go low, go slow. It's mm. just as effective as going high and I've always tried to bear that in mind I'm nicking that really really should mm. um and I do still let I try not to let the emotion take you away occasionally it does 
and I'm really angry with myself when it does. Right. You have to detach yourself with the emotion of sport. You have yeah. to tap into it. Yes. But not let it carry you. Well, you have to, uh, yeah, because you have to be able to bring that to the audience. Yeah. But not be caught up in it. Yeah. And the last time I let it happen, I was really angry with myself. And I haven't let it happen since, but I remember it was the 2017 Women's Rugby World Cup final. Mm -hmm. So we're in Belfast. It's England, New Zealand in the final. Uh, It goes out live from Five Live. There's this, and I am just, this is, you get so excited because you've worked on this World Cup the whole time and nobody with the greatest respect have really been following it unless they're avid fans yeah because you've been doing it on either online or you've been doing it on a, a secondary digital channel and then you get given the big platform mm. so you're very excited that you finally get the big platform you finally know lots of people are tuning in and they want the story and the passion and you've also got the story to tell to try and reward those people that have tuned in that exactly. you're going to tell them why this yeah. is so great and why it's great that they're listening exactly. which is a responsibility to the sport as well isn't it totally and there were just two the one moment that I'm really unhappy with is Lydia Thompson scores totally out of the blue. She runs down the right wing and it's so loud mm. inside the Kingspan Stadium. I can't really hear myself, which as a commentator is a really tough thing. Mm. Um, sometimes your equipment just isn't quite good enough or your headphones aren't quite good enough. And it means you're not getting the balance of the crowd noise compared to your noise. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you increase the volume of your voice to compensate. When actually we have these amazing microphones called lip mics. And believe me, you can whisper and it'd be noisy around you and people can still hear you. You don't realize that though because of the levels in your ears. And I just got too excited with this. And I listened back to it and I was like, oh, sorry, you're just shrilling. Okay. And I was like, you're so much better than that Mm. and that's everything I don't want to be but part of it also was the emotion of it Mm. I was so excited um in that moment um so yeah it annoyed me and I go out of my way not to do it yeah so yeah I try and be as deadpan and emotionless as I can be (laughs) well that's clearly not the way to go but yes I mean how, how would you how would you describe your voice just normal aren't I normal home counties girl voice really um i think if anyone was listening to this and you wanted to get into commentary i'd say i think who was it i think it was rob vickerman when he first started doing some rugby sevens for the bbc Mm. he says oh i just sound so northern i said no 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 that's brilliant you're going to be working forever exactly i was just like no love your voice because it's unique and it's different and i always just think well i just sound like everyone else don't i i yeah but you um, wouldn't have, you know, obviously there are, there are girls have sort of girly voices up there and you wouldn't have that naturally. So you, I think no. you're, you're blessed with or you've worked towards having a, a slightly lower timbre to, to maybe, yeah, you you know, which to. helps you out. I think you have to. Um, I still think there's a whole generation of women that are just going to come through and they're just going to absolutely blow the minds of the commentary world because mm. they're going to find a different way of doing things. And I still think there are plenty of people out there that don't like listening to us commentating but because they've just never, ever heard anything different. Mm. But one of the best compliments I ever, ever got was when I did my first TV men's international. Um, it was... It's terrible, I can't remember. <laughs> Is it England Samoa or England Fiji? England Fiji, November 2016. Oh, I'm glad you remember. Yeah. Um, and I had a message from Matthew Pinsent that he direct messaged me. And he said, 
he'd watched the match, the highlights, with his boys. And he turned round to his boys halfway through the match and he, they said, he said to them, so what do you think special about this match? And they went, uh, is it the scoreline, Dad? Yeah. And he was just like, no, anything else maybe about the production? And they were just like, oh, uh, is it the first time like England have played Fiji in like however many years? Yeah, you know? yeah. They didn't have a clue. And he said, neither of them even batted an eyelid. Fabulous, yeah. That it was a woman commentating. And I think that's the generation we're going to bring through. Mm. They're not even going to notice when a woman commentates. Mm. But that sort, of, that sort of thing really brings it home that it's, you know, it's just people not being used to it that is causing mm. the Jason Cundys of the world to, to say the ridiculous things they do about, about female well, voices. Exactly. It, it, it's just totally, it's just something that people aren't used to and they don't like. And I don't like saying the term, oh, you know, old boys club or anything like that, because from my experience, particularly in the rugby union world, I have felt so well looked after mm. by everyone who commentates there is not one person who I can say, well, they're a bit rude or mm. they didn't help me out. There isn't one person who hasn't supported me Which and good. wanted me to do well. And yeah, I think I'm very lucky in that respect. Vocally, will you warm up or do you just go for it? It's a really good question. I would never, uh, I, I do certain things like I wouldn't eat chocolate in the, in, in the build up to a match. If anyone doesn't, understand why just think about eating a mm. chocolate mm. oh that's bar. How, yeah that's already it's like exactly nails, it's like nails down a blackboard isn't it it's something like that there, there's things like that um i wouldn't have fizzy drinks in the build-up again obviously um i would have a coffee or something but again i wouldn't have it too close because again it's got milk in it and milk is also not the cloying. best thing um Anyone who has commentated, they know the worst thing in the world is getting a cold or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, have you had moments when it's let you down as a result of, of being ill or anything? Or you've, you've persevered, but it's not quite been there? Um, again, I think this is something that ev I've always persevered. There's two things. One is that you have to have a really good summariser <laughs> um, who can let you switch off your microphone and talk whilst you're coughing back out the corner yeah and we hear i hear people do it all the time i mean yeah. when you're a commentator you hear people doing it yeah you can tell you might just think it's someone in the crowd that they're picking up on a mic but we know mm. it's the commentator um i did get laryngitis last year where my voice just completely went mm. i was i commentated on the opening match of the six nations which i think was wales well, scotland. scotland yeah in down at the millennium stadium I was and there, on yeah. the train on the way back i was just like my voice is just going. Where's it going? Mm. It didn't hurt. There was no pain there. It just totally went. And I was meant to be commentating the next day. I think it was England, France, women on the TV. And I just had to ring in and say, I messaged them the night before saying, just so you know, I'm a bit worried my voice is going. And I messaged them the next day and I said, I've got nothing. Mm. It just went. And when you've got laryngitis, you just have to wait. Yeah. There is no magic bullet. Mm. And it's annoying as anything. Yeah. But that's what you can do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you approach your preparation? Do you have any sort of routines about it? I mean, obviously, we all we all make the notes and do and look up the players and that sort of thing. Well, when I first started, I'd watched the Bill McLaren documentary. Yeah, where he's there, and I think he's in his kitchen, and he's got all the flashcards, playing cards. Yeah, so. That's what I did. Brilliant. <laughs> did so I mean, I, I I did I did a similar thing for my first game, at least. Yeah. yeah. But anyone who 
you know, that commitment, if you don't do that many commentaries, that's totally acceptable. But when you start doing commentaries on a week to week basis, it got to the point after about six weeks of me producing these flashcards, I had like flashcards everywhere. <laughs> if you think about how many different teams you cover yeah. and each squad that you have to cover, because there's about, I don't know, a minimum if you just did the 22 as it was then or the 23 now, and then you'd add a few extra players and reserves as well. Yeah. I just had, you know, hundreds of these things everywhere. Yeah. And it was just like, this is ridiculous. And then you'd be like, well, I've got all these cards and I always write, I always write things in pencil. Okay. And then you come around to it again. You're like, well, they've had a birthday, so you've got to change that. Everyone's like, right, stop this. This does not work for me. I'm just surrounded by bits of terrible paper because I was printing them off as well and getting their pictures. And when you do women's internationals, finding pictures of the players is just a nightmare. Yes. Oh, it, yeah. So I said, no, no more of that. Mm. Um, uh, I do prepare slightly differently for TV and radio. Um, TV... Uh, anyone will say this, you live and die by your player identification. Yeah. So you spend a lot longer actually just watching previous matches and player identification. You need a lot less information when you do TV, but it needs to be more interesting Yeah. information. You have to add, yes. don't you? Yeah. Which is very hard. Um, so it does take longer, even though you say a lot less. While I was on radio, it's just a conversation. Um, and you've just got to sell the pictures to people. Mm. Um, so yeah, although you might not need as much, uh, perhaps, yeah, detail about, you know, what a a player looks like, you can describe them, you can't do that as much on TV. So yeah, there's different ways of doing it. I I do prepare differently. I spend a lot more time where for radio commentary, I might spend a day preparing a TV commentary. I'll spend two or three days. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, What do you think are the, are the keys to being a good commentator, I mean, there's a there's a broad question for you, but be passionate about it and want to be there. Hmm. If you're turning up at a ground and you're thinking, "Oh, well, here we go again," how many people would love to do what yeah. you're doing? It's yeah. the best job in the world. You're being paid to talk about sport. <laughs> I mean, that's just nuts, yeah. isn't it? Every time I think about it, yeah. I'm just like, this is crazy. Well, the idea of sport for me is almost the is almost the the absurd bit at the beginning. It's just like it is sport. It's a game. So there are going to be fifteen or twenty three, whatever it is, blokes running around against each other with a bag of air, and they're going to try and score more points than the other people. Why haven't we left them to do this in a park on their own? And why do <laughs> why do these twenty thousand people give a monkeys about them doing it? Because it's a release. Because it's a thing. Because these are the people who are the one of the best in their yeah. club, their area, the world at it. And you sort of build it up from that in your head. And then of course it becomes obvious why. But but I always have that moment when I think about it like that, and I think, well, therefore the you know the the interest in it is enough that now we're at the point where everybody wants to hear about it. And like you say, I, I very much have that outlook. And if you end up being the one chosen. To to bring the detail via radio or TV, then happy days. It, it, it's just, yeah, I just think it's the biggest honour. Biggest mm. honour. And the bigger the stage, the bigger the honour. Mm. Um, I can remember, you, you know, my first Six Nations game, my first Women's World Cup, my first Men's World Cup, uh, going to the Olympics. All yeah, of well, these things done, are just nuts. You've done the Olympics in Wimbledon um, as well, haven't you? I mean, what... Where do those sort of rank alongside the feelings of walking into into a, you know an Allianz Park or or Twickenham? It's very different. Uh, rugby union is obviously more of my background, and it's where my real base of knowledge is. Um, 
And as you get deeper into commentary, you will be asked to commentate on different sports if you are lucky enough. Mm. Um, the first uh, sport I was asked to commentate on other than rugby was uh, hockey. Um, and I can remember getting the phone call. They said, we're looking for a hockey commentator, Sarah. Um, what do you know about hockey? And I was like, at this very moment in time, I'm being honest with you, I know nothing about hockey. <laughs> I was just like, I love playing it at school. It was amazing. And I was just like, right, my life became hockey from that moment on. Yeah. Um, and you refind your passions for it. Um, and every sport is different. And how you commentate on them is really, really different. Um, hockey moves the whole time. You don't have any breaks in hockey like you do in rugby. Mm. So again, you have to be very careful about your conversations when you're looking for detail. You have to have a much better um uh telepathy with your summarizer because there aren't natural pauses at all at all and understanding when you can carry on when the ball's getting closer to the d and when a shot may or may not be on goal so on and so forth um that kind of thing that's really hard and then tennis i mean that is the hardest thing that i do commentate on my tennis knowledge improves every single year but there's still so much about it because it happens so fast that I think to be a top tennis commentator, you have to have played it to a decent level. And that's where, you know, your likes of your Andrew Castles, mm. um, they come into their own, um, Mark Petchy, you know, they, they've got that base. Yeah. Um, and what I think does help me and you have to back yourself as well. If you think you're rubbish, you're not going to have the confidence to do things. So I've always had the attitude that if people didn't like what I did, they wouldn't ask me to do it. Yeah. Well, that, that, so sorry. back yourself yeah. in, is the first point. And therefore, I do think I have the ability to tell a story. And I think that comes back to maybe all the way back to the theatre studies where we started. Yeah, maybe. You've got to be able to tell a story and engage it. And that's what I'm always thinking of in a match, whether it's tennis, hockey or rugby, if someone's at home listening to this, how the hell do I make it interesting to them and come with me? Please come with me. Don't leave me. Mm. And that's what you've really got to harness. I imagine you're a tough critic on yourself. Will you allow yourself to acknowledge a good call? Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Any stick out in the mind? Um, one of... I remember... Um, it was England playing Australia. I did the highlights of that in 2017. I was working with Brian Moore, who I love, mm -hmm. because he's, he again, he's one of these people, he loves what he does. Mm. Some people say, oh, he's just really cantankerous and all this kind of thing. And yes, he is a little bit, and he'll be the first to tell you that. Yeah. But it's also because he's so passionate about what he does. Yeah. And he loves it so much. But I remember... Um, uh, because it was one of my first commentaries and it was probably one of my first more high profile commentaries because it was Australia. A few people tapped into it and a few people like, oh, I didn't like it or, you know, whatever they like to say. And he just said, well, how many people actually picked up on some of the subtleties? There was a little moment in it and those of us who were in the game a lot more, um, uh, it was one of those ones where Owen Farrell tried to take a kick really quickly because they were very aware. I think Elliot Daly's feet had gone into touch or something along those lines. Yeah, sure, yeah. Um, and I picked up on it quite quickly in the commentary. Um, and Brian Moore said, how many people picked up on the fact that before Sarah said it? And when I listened back to the Sky commentary, 
Um, and I'm not in any way criticising in any way Miles Harrison and Stuart Barnes. Because no, but he's a man who's been doing it for 25 they, years. Well, it's not a criticism of them because they were actually just happened to be talking about something else at the time. Yeah. And they would have been given a replay of something else at the time that they were talking about. Yeah. Um, and they did talk about it eventually, but they were about two minutes behind mm. where we were. And it's that thing of sometimes when you're confident in your knowledge and you're on the ball and you're explaining perhaps really quickly the significance of a situation and what's going on, you're very proud of yourself. Yeah. And to be backed by someone like Brian Moore, because he said, if you said to me afterwards, if you hadn't said that, I wouldn't have picked up on it. Mm. And it's that whole thing. You've got to have eyes everywhere because mm. it's not necessarily where the ball is that the action is. It could be 50 meters away. And being aware of that, you, you're just like, okay, I can do this. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Do you have anyone, any moments in particular you'd like to do again? That Lydia Thompson try. There you go, yeah. <laughs> Big time. Yeah. <laughs> Love to do that again. They stay with you, don't they? It's oh, they really I've, do. something I've found with, with all the conversations I've had. There's, you know, there's, there's, lo- yeah. there's people that go, my voice cracked there. I want to, I, I said the wrong thing. And um, That's the one that really grates. Yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. Who do you enjoy listening to these days? Uh, I mean, yeah, I still love listening to, um, uh, Ian Robertson, you know, he, he's been very supportive to me in my career and, and yeah, he's been so good to me and he does have that lovely voice, um, in the sport itself, you know, I love them all. There's not anyone, I, I, it's like picking your favorite children, isn't it? So it seems <laughs> a bit cruel to pick anyone out in rugby union. No, that's fair I enough. think we all listened to Bill growing up, didn't we? So, yeah. you know, we all love Bill McLaren. Anyone across other sports um, that you hear and you think, you know, that's, but, a, that's a nice quality to have or that's a nice... Well, there is a woman that has always been there to me and that's um, Maureen Medell who does a lot of the golf. And yeah, she, um, she, she, I think she goes relatively unnoticed in the commentary world. But, you know, Peter Alice passes to her all the time. So mm. it was going on Mo and she's just there and she's got this very soft, very comforting northern irish lilt that i don't think goes that recognized a lot of the time mm. she's brilliant and again with my peers you know i love listening to ali mitchell on the cricket her knowledge is just ridiculous mm. um off the scale good and you know the youngsters coming through like vicky sparks and the football and stuff like that you know yeah. i think all these women we're all starting out we've got a long way to go but i'm just i just think what they're doing is incredible knowing ultimately what I think a lot of them have come up against to get where they are. Yeah. They're, they're incredible. Yeah, and and you talk about things that you can come up against. Going back to that England-Fiji game from, from November 2016, you were doing the BBC TV highlights. Um, it made the sun that they uh, wrote an article oh, about yeah. about the sexist trolls that you were taunted by objecting to the but female voice. But you know they, they, they actually copy and pasted the same story the year after. Right, yeah. <laughs> when I did the Australia of, game. Of course they did. I mean, it's a typical tabloid headline because, you know, you'd actually been a lead commentator on plenty of rugby up to that mm. point. It was just now that it was on terrestrial BBC mm. and, and, you know, you were, you were on mm. the official highlights in November. Um, they were seeing it as a minor historic moment or not. I mean, what what's your take on those lines in the sand that, that mainstream media like that will try and make on your behalf? embarrassing do you because it didn't bother me mm. i i found it i actually laughed when i read the headline mm. um but it is you know is there a little is there any part of you that that you know i don't know if you've seen anchorman that sort of has the veronica corningstone moment of I, I i read the news you know who that comes away and goes i was just doing that well, on that, bbc that was my tv attitude. And- I, th- there's two sides of it one is that i was hugely proud that i've been given the opportunity and i was chosen to do it 
And I have full faith in the BBC bosses that they wouldn't ask me to do it if they didn't think I could do it. That's nice, yeah. And they asked me back again, which is a good sign. Mm -hmm. And they asked me to do the Six Nations off the back of that. So clearly it hadn't been a disaster. This taps into the whole thing I have about feedback being as long as you get booked for another gig, but it might not be. Exactly. You, might, you might not get any more than that. You know, I'm not going to turn around and say that my England Fiji was the best commentary I ever did. It was my first ever TV highlights. Mm. Yes, it could be better. And it was actually one of the... Uh, toughest games i've ever commentated on because it was incredibly one-sided um which is a very hard story to tell with any excitement yeah um and perhaps again if we look back on things i could have done better yes of course it was my first ever tv gig i'm not going to say i was brilliant i could do better i have done better and mm. i will do better um so yeah but the whole sun thing i found it just ridiculous they picked out a load of um, messages on Twitter where people have said, oh, my dog's howling, this shrilling woman. Yeah. Um, but it was, I found it bizarre because I had had so many messages of love and support from people I knew and I didn't know saying how brilliant they thought it was and how they'd never heard a woman commentate before and how they wanted to get into commentary and how they wanted to hear me again. And none of that was mentioned in the Sun article of course. at all. Yeah. Because that would ruin a good story. And I, I would say of everything that was at me directly, because obviously a lot of stuff goes on uh, on social media that's not actually included you, they just talk about it. Yeah. But everything that was actually directed at me... 95% was positive. That's great. And 5% was negative. That's quite rare for social media. Yeah. So I was just sort of like, wow, fine. And as I said, when I did the Australia match next year, same picture, same headline, different comments. I was like, oh, well, they'll there probably roll out again this year. So yeah. I'm doing England Australia again. So they don't even need to change the match. Perfect. Oh. <laughs> it's just the date. Just the date this year, the sun. Yeah. We'll all look forward to that. Yeah. Um, Co commentators are made for interesting discussion in these conversations I've been having often there to obviously provide the expert opinion what do you think about the lead commentator having an opinion um you are allowed one as long as it comes from somewhere mm. for me my opinions come from mainly a base of law mm-hmm because that's my main grounding when it comes to rugby so that, the laws of the game that I would that I'm confident on. Yeah. And actually, having said that, I think most commentators, they will turn around in these situations where something's happened in the field and they say, well, by the letter of the law, mm. that's the favourite line that we all use, yeah. that decision is correct or incorrect for whatever reason. And that's what you fall back on. The only other line, perhaps as an opinion I would take, would be as a parent um, and about how the world is seeing it. But even that, I don't think I'd use that very often. I don't think I have used it very often because, again, that's something maybe more my summariser can tap into about how their sport is viewed. Because if they're generally a former player or an ex-player, it's more their sport than it is mine. Mm. I'm a part of it, but they've lived it. Yeah, I mean, they've lived it as a player, but, you know, you'll have had however many years watching and talking mm. about the nuances of a yeah. game when they may have had their head down in a scrum and been very good at that. So there is an argument to say that, you know, your appreciation and understanding and experience of the game as a whole is just as valid. I agree, but I still think the reason the summariser is there is to add that colour mm. and add that point of view. And you can question them. Mm. You don't have to necessarily have an opinion on their opinion 
but you can question them. And if you've got two of them, you can just let them argue amongst themselves, which is brilliant. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, good. Um, what would you like to have commentated on, perhaps, that you've not so far had the chance to? I've, I've never had a live TV international um, that's not women. Mm. Um, that would be nice. Any other sports? I'll do anything. <laughs> It's true, though. Mm. If you love sport, you'll talk about anything, doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, you true. Um, but yeah, cameo. I've, I've done a bit of netball recently. I've loved that. It's been brilliant because I played a lot of netball when I was younger. Okay. And again, it's tapping into that, what you know yourself and what you see yourself in. So that was, yeah, that was brilliant. Loved that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier, you said, you said the phrase, you know, I know where I want to go now. Where's that? I want to be Bill McLaren. There's a few issues with being Bill McLaren. <laughs> But yeah, and that's what's, not... what's what's the definition of being Bill McLaren then? I would love to be paid full time to commentate. I don't mm. at the moment. I have a day job where I am a TV sports journalist for um, sport and news, and at the moment, I all of my commentary is done at the weekend, and it's extra. Mm. I would love for it not to be extra. I'd love for that to be my job. Do you think the market out there has a role? for a bill mclaren these days male or female not not perhaps in one sport so to speak yeah you have to be an all-rounder and i think most people who come through commentary these days it's very rare you find someone who commentates on just one sport these days you have to be able to do a bit of everything so yeah i'd like to think so the hardest thing for me is i have a family and a lot of sport happens at weekends so you have to balance that a lot so that's tough but yeah i'd love just to be paid to go and talk about sport that'd be amazing what would be the couple of pieces of advice you might give to someone looking to become a commentator or re- or even to improve? I mean, you've touched on a couple as we've been talking. Back yourself. If someone's asked you to do it, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, wish you told me this. I could have thought something far more succinct. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, yeah. you've mentioned passion earlier, which I think well, is... Yes, that goes without saying, passion. You, you, yeah, you've, you've got to love what you're doing. I suppose the other thing is you do need a thick skin, and accept in, in it doesn't matter what you do for a job. Some people won't like you doing it. Doesn't matter. Mm. Doesn't mean you're bad at it. Mm. You've just got to accept you can't be something to everyone, but you can be something to some people. And if those people are the people that count, you're on the right way. You've got a final week or weekend coming up in our in our theory uh, theoretical life. Uh, you've got one last call that you're allowed. Uh, in terms of a gig, in terms of a game, what would uh, what would that be? Easy. It's a replay of the 2017 Women's World Cup final. <laughs> really? Yeah. So of it course. wouldn't be England, New Zealand in a Rugby World Cup final on the BBC on BBC TV, full live comms. Well, yeah. It's, it's a chance to go back and. It, well, no, no, no. It would be a replay of that match. Right. But obviously, we'd put it on the BBC, and it would be on TV. I'd still be commentating alongside a cat merchant. Ugo Monia can be there as well because he joined us for that final. I'd want to redo that. It's a replay where, although we are hugely objective as commentators, I'd like to think that England would win that one, which would be great. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, we're um, changing because our history. audience goes up. We're yes, changing exactly. history now. Are we? So, okay. Um, yes, well, yeah, it's a exactly. fantasy world. Okay, exactly. Yeah, so, and, and that for me would just be amazing. And I have to say, I view men and women's sport on very equal level. And that for me, because I'm a woman, I identify with that better. That for me Mm. would be the dream. I've been lucky enough to commentate now on three women's World Cup finals, one of which they won. Um, 
And I'm hugely indebted to them that they won that World Cup final because it really helped launch my career because it was taken on a bigger platform, not because they got to the final, but because they also won it. Mm. And that for me will always be my happiest place. So yeah, I don't care how many times England and New Zealand play each other in a World Cup final, I'll be there with bells on. So count me in. Yeah. Uh, finally, you mentioned uh, having your referee qualification on your social media profile and and you admitted that that is giving you credibility. Does that come off at any stage when you think your credibility has, has hit a certain point? Maybe. Depends if I can think of something witty to put in its place. <laughs> I think that's it. You, you, Everyone has something funny written on there, don't they? I think mine says something along the lines of a uh, BBC commentator generally found near rugby, tennis, hockey or pudding. Um, <laughs> with the refereeing uh, line in there somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it it would be nice to take it off in the future, but at the same time, it's validity. And for the time being, I'll, I'll leave it there. Sarah, thank you so much for your time and, uh, and good luck in being Bill McLaren. Thanks, Nick. You too. <laughs> thanks. Thanks very much. <laughs> Who doesn't want to be Bill McLaren? My huge thanks to Sarah um, for what was a brilliant conversation and a lot of fun and a lovely cup of tea. Um, really good to uh, to enjoy finding out what made Sarah tick and obviously that invisible glass ceiling that there was. I guess it, it sort of is how a lot of African-Americans felt when, I, when Barack Obama became president over there. Now there is proof that you can get to the top job and clearly for Sarah, having not seen other women getting to the top of, of broadcasting and commentary in that way, you could hear how you know, absurd it seemed to be suggested to her that, that she should give it a crack but uh, a really great listen um, I enjoyed also hearing her talk about it being the biggest honour we heard Nick last uh, in the last episode saying that you know it's not a job um, and interesting to hear Sarah's outlook on it as well um, and uh, yeah absolutely brilliant so really really grateful to Sarah and hope you enjoyed episode 4 um, do subscribe please keep the reviews coming as I said a little earlier we've got the Q Commentator Facebook group via the Rugby Media Facebook page I think if you just search for the group you should be able to find it if you're on Facebook. Uh, Twitter is at QCommentator or email QCommentator at RugbyMedia.co.uk. This has been a Rugby Media production. My name's Nick Heath and I'll see you for the next one. Ta-ta. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.